Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. If you or a family member or loved one served in a war, are you missing out on some benefits that you're eligible for? Well, today we're joined by Patty Survey, founder of Elder Resource Benefits Consulting, who is recognized nationally speaking on the topic of the Veteran Administration's basic pension and aid with attendance. This is a very misunderstood benefit, and a lot of veterans are missing out on something they may qualify for, so hopefully we'll shed some light on this very important benefit for our veterans. And with that, I'd like to welcome Patty Survey. Welcome, Patty. Thank you. We are so glad to have you today. I, for one, have been just briefly introduced to some of the different benefits that veterans have, and it seems like it's something that's changed throughout the years, and there certainly seems to be a lot of confusion, at least among my veteran clients, as to what benefits are available to them, what is not, and for coming across you as the Elder Resource Benefits Consulting Founder and working a lot with veterans, I guess we could almost call you an expert on this, and I think you're going to be able to shed a lot of light for our listeners. Can you please share with us a little bit of, first of all, how did you get involved into this consulting? Well, my background is I have my Master's of Science in Accounting from Northeastern University, and then I went to work for Pricewaterhouse and then the Boston Globe and the New York Times. And when I was 40, I had a bonus baby. And during my pregnancy and maternity leave, I really started thinking how instead of being a VP of finance, I'd rather do something where I could give back to the community and yet I could still work at home and maybe spend some more time with my latest child. Couldn't figure out what that would be. I'd been doing SEC work and mergers and acquisitions for years. And so I decided, well, seniors have pretty complicated accounting issues, but there don't seem to be a lot of CPAs that focus in that area. So I decided, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I said, you know what, I'll buy a home care agency with the goal of within five years figuring out, you know, my niche and what I would do. And luckily for me, day one, when I was signing the paperwork to own the home care franchise, there was somebody there talking about the VA's basic pension with aid and attendance for veterans and some of the things that he was saying just didn't sound right. I went back to my hotel room that night and started reading the actual regulations and the VA benefits manual, which is the kind of stuff that I find very exciting, and decided, hey, what that guy was saying was completely incorrect and I bet I can do a better job with this. So luckily I was able to sell my home care agency when I'd only owned it four years and I've been doing this full-time for the last five years. So I've been doing it about seven years, full-time for five. All right, today I'd really like to focus in on our veterans and focus in on some of the basic criteria and background for these veteran benefits. Sure, I'd love to. There are five basic criteria for this pension, what it means to be a veteran, what it means to be the surviving spouse of a veteran. There's a medical criteria, and there's an income and an asset criteria. When you think about it, this benefit, which has been around since 1953 in expenses, you're left with a negative $1,000 in assets. Let's say you don't have any life-threatening illnesses to reduce your life expectancy. 
then if the VA were to determine that they thought you're entitled to, if he needs the aid and attendance of another person, is $1,732 a month, and that's tax-free. And a married veteran, $2,054 a month. And if you're the surviving spouse of a veteran, you could get up to $1,113 a month. So what it means to be a veteran for this program, and there are different criteria for different programs offered by the VA, but for this program, you have to have served at least one day during a period of war. That's World War II, the Korean conflict, Vietnam, and our Gulf War veterans. One day during a period of war, at least 90 days in total, although it does change to two years for our Gulf War veterans, but at least 90 days in total, active service, and you have to have been other than dishonorably discharged. So often people are saying, well, I didn't serve overseas or I never saw combat. That's not one of the criteria. It's as simple as one day during a period of war, at least 90 days in total, and other than dishonorably discharged. Then for someone who, to be a surviving spouse, you have to have been married to a veteran who met that criteria at the time of his death. So you have to have been married to the veteran when he died. You cannot have been divorced from the veteran, unfortunately. You have to have been married to him at the time of his death. Then if you meet either of those criteria, you're the veteran or the surviving spouse of a veteran, you move on to the medical criteria. This is, at this level, it's a pension for veterans or their surviving spouses who need the attendance of another person. Very complicated way of saying if you need somebody to help you with your dressing, bathing, if you need protection from the hazards of daily living, you just can't live alone safely anymore, then you need the assistance of another person. It's a medical criteria. doesn't matter where that occurs. That can be in your home, a trailer, an apartment building, an assisted living. doesn't matter where it is. It's a medical criteria, yes or no. Do you need the assistance of another person? If you do, then what happens is you have big benefits for you at the income and asset test stage. This is a needs-based program, and so there is an income component and an asset component. Since the income component is more difficult and the driver of the pension, I'll spend more time on the income criteria. Basically what happens is, and I know I'm talking to your educated listener base, Tony and Jim, that you've got, basically what they do is they take income, as all of you guys would think of it, your Social Security income, a pension, interest, dividends, IRA distributions, rental income, oil well royalties, mineral rights have like a little trick to them, installment sales, anything that has a trick with it as well. But anything that you would basically consider income, we would take a look at and we would handle it in the way that the VA does. But then luckily, the VA has their own definition of income. And what that means is if you've met that medical criteria, you can deduct your unreimbursed medical expenses. So for example, if your monthly income is $3,000 per month and you pay $4,000 for an assisted living, you have income for VA purposes of negative $1,000. And that means that you would pass the income test with an indication of receiving a full reward but you still have to pass that tricky asset test. Staying on the income test for a minute, the reason I say you pass with the indication of a full award is let's say that your income again was $3,000 a month, but you were only paying $2,500 a month to your assisted living or your home care agency. Then you would have income for VA purposes of $500, and they might be willing to give you a partial award at that time. So you'd have positive income of $500, 
when you take your award amount of $2,054 per month for married veterans, the rates are brand new, you would be left with $1,554 as your award amount after they took out your $500 positive income. Then what they do is they take a look at how much your negative is or if you've got a positive amount and looking at life expectancy, the type of illness that you have, your income, your age, they figure out how much they think you can have in assets and still get the benefit. And that's one of the things that Elder Resources is really an expert in. A lot of companies who are out there are trying to say, well, you can't have more than $80,000 for assets, and that's just not true. We've gotten the benefit for our clients when they've had as much as $250,000 in their own name. That's about it in a nutshell. Well, you've covered a lot of information, and as you are going through all this, I know we both have a lot of questions that we'd like to ask you. So we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, let's dig a little deeper on what it takes to qualify and then spend a little bit of time. Your services can help people that are maybe trying to get through these myriad of tests or qualifications and how you can help people understand what their benefits might be and actually help them receive some of these valuable benefits. So please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and Registered Investment Advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. I'm Leslie Bibb. Everything changed the day my mother received the awful call that there had been an accident and my father hadn't survived. Suddenly, she was faced with having to raise four girls on her own. But my mom's burden was lessened by my dad's thoughtfulness. His life insurance kept her family together and enabled us to carry on. My father loved us enough to expect the unexpected. Learn more at lifehappens.org, a public service message from the Nonprofit Life Foundation. Welcome back as we continue to meet with Patty Surveys, the founder of Elder Resource Benefits Consulting that really helps focus on helping families receive benefits. And right now, today, we're really focusing on the veterans' benefits. As you were talking, I know we've heard a lot of different criteria. One is that they needed to serve during active times of war. I've heard at some points, and maybe this is a misconception, that they actually had to serve in the area of conflict. Can somebody be serving in the military during a time of conflict? If they never leave the state borders, they would still qualify, or do they have to actually be overseas at that time? Nope, there's no criteria to leave the United States. Let's say I'm speaking to a group in Chicago. I like to say you can be in the U.S. Coast Guard stationed right here in Chicago, never step foot on a boat, as long as it was one day during a period of war and at least 90 days and you were other than dishonorably discharged, you meet the criteria. 
Okay, so some of the things, because you mentioned the Korean War, the Gulf War, and some of these wars weren't officially wars, they were conflicts. But there's a pretty definite, you know if there was a conflict, whether or not that would qualify for that criteria then, right? Absolutely. The VA has defined certain periods of war, and they have defined the Korean War as June 27, 1950 through January 31, 1955. So they definitely have recognized periods going all the way back to the Mexican border period and World War I and World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and the Gulf War. I would like to point out that for Vietnam, and this is the only war that has this, there is a period, kind of a little footnote to what I said before about not needing to serve outside of the country, before the declared Vietnam War, which starts on August 5th, 1964, and by declared, you have to use little finger quotation marks, but prior to that, starting with February 28th, 1961, through August 4th, of 64, for that little period, you can get this benefit if you served in the country or in the waters off of Vietnam. But that's the only period that requires leaving the United States. Well, Patty, just because of those unique nuances, is that why someone would lean towards someone like yourself to consult and help them apply for benefits? Absolutely. In addition to the periods of war, which let me tell you, any veteran services organization or any VA office is going to know like the back of their hand. What we bring to the table that sometimes those free services are a little lacking in is being able to do the analysis on the financials and make sure that our folks understand when is the best time to apply for this and that it's not a yes or no award. It's an if and when award, and it's just something that every veteran and their family should have in their retirement toolbox as they plan for aging. We need to clarify this is not qualifying for Title 19. No, it is not. Okay. In fact, it's really made to help keep you off of Title 19, right. to allow those who serve to have a little higher quality of life and hopefully not end up on Title 19. So is the VA counseling people, Patty, or how do they hear about this benefit? I think because the VA spends so much time on compensation claims, our soldiers that are coming home today that were injured in the service or those that served in prior wars that still need help, this has kind of become a bit of a forgotten benefit. For example, when I said that tricky income test, one of the reasons I always use the same mathematical example, $3,000 a month in income minus 4000 for an assisted living, your income for VA purposes is zero or negative $1,000, is because when I very first started doing this seven years ago, I had a gentleman call me who had been told when he called the VA hotline, what's your dad's income? And he said, and I had the example you used when you were talking yesterday, $3,000 a month. And the VA told me he was never going to qualify because his income was too much. And I said, did you remember to tell him that his income is actually minus $4,000 a month or negative $1,000 a month, which would be negative $12,000 a year? And he said, oh, no, I forgot to do that. So the VA's regulations say, what's your income? But they don't necessarily train all of their folks on what the definition of income is for this particular pension. Is it also fair to say that if the veteran passes, the surviving spouse may not always think of this availability, right? Oh, absolutely. No, they just don't think about it, especially if their husband wasn't injured in the service. 
they just don't think it's something that's out there for them. Boy, and I've got to tell you, that's huge. I mean, I'm just thinking now of clients that I've consulted with in the past that I know they've had spouses that were veterans and that served during these different conflicts. And I'm not aware of a single one that's ever even thought to apply for these benefits. And with that definition of income, I'll tell you, I was not aware of that, as you just mentioned. And here, if we're counseling people on a regular basis, we're not aware of it. Our clients are veterans, and they're not aware of it. It's pretty obvious that they're not being educated on it. That's right. And they're going to qualify for it well in advance of Title 19. So if you've ever had a client that was a veteran and ended up on Title 19, he missed out on thousands of dollars. We've counseled clients on applying for Social Security disability income. And I know the saying out there is the first time it's an automatic decline and then typical person waits maybe a year before they see their first check. Is this something that's kind of similar like this where they really got to keep trying and trying to get the benefit or is it pretty straightforward and once all the documentation is there, they're collecting a check? Well, it's pretty complicated. The VA, they process everything out of three processing centers in the United States, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and St. Paul. And right now they're telling you that the average time in development in the Philadelphia office is 11 months. And then you have to give them another 45 days for the rating decision and then another 20 days for the notification period. So you're really talking a year and a month or two. However, our average time to award is four months. I think the reason that our average time to award is four months is that our goal is that by the time that application gets to the VA, it is absolutely perfect and there isn't a question to ask. And that seems to pay off. Unfortunately, our average application is 25 to 30 pages long. So you can see where that turns it into something that if this is your one and only application that you're going to be doing, there's a high chance that you might not get it exactly right. Whereby our auditing it, there's a good chance that it's going to be perfect. Once it's issued or approved, is it retroactive if, let's say, it took that year? It's retroactive to the first of the month after you notify the VA that you're going to apply. I see. So unlike Medicaid, right, where you can move into the nursing home and maybe not put your application paperwork in for a little bit and they'll retroactive you, they will not go back before the day that you notify the VA that you're going to file. And what if the person passed away in the process? If the person passed away in the process, it's really kind of scary. If the person passes away in the process, the family gets a letter that says, we're sorry to hear that the veteran has passed, the claim has been closed, which you can imagine in the case of a married couple where they've spent thousands and thousands of dollars expecting that they're going to get a check back for 2000 dollars per month, this can cause a lot of anxiety. But the fact of the matter is, if he's married, the spouse of the veteran can make her own application, and they will include those accrued amounts that were due the veteran at the time of his death, as long as the application that was on file was considered complete. Okay, So if you've left something out, they can use that to say, hey, there wasn't a complete application on file. That does not happen to our clients. The other thing that can happen is in the case of a single veteran or the surviving spouse of a veteran, if they pass away mid-application, same thing, letter, sorry for the passing, the claim is closed. However, to the extent that one of their children or anyone else actually contributed to the cost of their care or paid for their funeral after their passing, and I emphasize that because a prepaid funeral won't work, but if they paid for the funeral after their passing, 
then that child or other individual has standing with the VA to file their own claim for those accrued benefits. So, for example, one of the things that we tell people when they filed with us, have you prepaid for your parents' funeral? No? Well, don't, because that way, if they pass during this application period, let's say the VA owes them $10,000, if they pass and the child pays for the funeral, then the VA will reimburse them. Well, you can just imagine how many listeners are probably realizing what's been missed. Yeah. With all those scenarios. You mentioned the benefits tax-free. Is that Fed and state tax-free? Yes. Yep, tax-free. Do they report it still on the tax return anywhere? I don't think that they have to report it, no. Okay. Now, when you talk about the definition of income, it's gross income. So if someone had tax-free municipal bonds, for example, would that be considered income? It would. As well as capital gain income. If they sold yes. their house, for example, and even though they have a homestead exemption, would the gain in the house count against them? or It does. One of the things that we do before we assist our clients in filing is to figure out, well, can they include the equity in the house at the time of their filing? If, let's say, you have so much equity in your house that when you sell it, you will be kicked out of the program. Let's say that we thought that you could have $180,000 in equity, and when you sold your home, you were going to end up with $230,000. Then what we do is a little analysis to say, okay, you're in the program for 12 months or 18 months before you decide that you want to sell your home. The home sells. It kicks you out of the program. When does that $230,000 get you back down to the 180 that we think you're eligible at so that our clients have an understanding, hey, I'm going to get the award for this amount of time. Then I'm not going to have the award for maybe 15 months or however long it is. Sometimes people erroneously think that you're kicked out for a year, and that's not true. We've had success in getting people back in after they've been kicked out of the program for three months, and we've had people who we sell the home and they don't get kicked out at all. But it can be something that stops the benefit for a while. Can you clarify, I mean, you've talked about a range of assets that people can possibly have. What criteria goes into determining how much of a value an asset is and then how much assets they can have to be eligible for these benefits? Okay, so the value of an asset is really what you could sell it for today and if it is saleable. We've had people who have percentage shares in small-owned an office building in New York that's owned by 20 family members, and none of the other family members will buy it. We've successfully argued that the market value of the building is zero, when truly, if this was owned by one person, it would be millions and millions of dollars. So it's really what can you sell it for today? What can you liquidate it at and use to pay for your care? With your home, it's going to be the after mortgage value that you realize when you sell it. They do not allow you to offset your assets with credit cards. Your furnishings with credit card debt, secured debt, will reduce your assets, but not unsecured. Your furnishings don't count against you. You're allowed to have one car, although if it were an antique collectible car, then they would want to count that. If your furnishings include, say, a Picasso or, you know, I like to tell people what scheduled insurance items do you have other than your ring and other jewelry that you might wear? Because if you have a Picasso, they're going to want to count that as an asset. So typically cash, stocks, bonds, securities, your home does not count against you. However, once you sell it, it's no longer your home. It's whatever you sold it for, converted it into. And if you rent it, it's a rental property, and then it would count as an asset. 
Now, what if, for example, I just had a couple I met with and they've got a property up north. It's not a huge value of the asset, but they're talking about giving it to the kids. Now, I know with Title 19, if you give something to the kids, there's this five-year look back. Is there something similar with that, with the veterans' benefits? There is not, but they are currently discussing implementing a look back similar to Medicare for this program. They're talking about a three-year look back program. Okay. And when are they looking at implementing something like that? Is that something that's coming fairly soon, or is it just in the talk about stage? Yeah, my understanding is that it would probably come up for a vote in front of Congress in February, and then there'll be the year delay. If it's approved, there'll be the year delay to implementation. However, the VA, on their own, without it being a matter of law that's voted on by Congress, I believe could enact a three-year look-back period themselves. And we've heard rumblings that that might happen as early as January 1st. Well, I'll tell you what, this has been invaluable. If you could please just share with us, if someone has a veteran in their family or they're a veteran themselves, how they get in touch with you and how you might be able to help them. And I don't know if you're comfortable talking about how you charge for your services, but just share with our audience how to get in touch with you. Okay, great. You can always go to our website, Elder Benefits consulting.com. You can also call and schedule an appointment to talk with us, 508-597-8337. It's kind of like calling and scheduling an appointment to meet with your dentist. You call, we take your information and you say, hey, I want to talk with somebody today. I want to talk with somebody tomorrow. And we line you up with one of the consultants and they call you back at that scheduled time. How we get compensated is we have a bunch of advertisers on our website. And the pre-application analysis is free for all of the residents who live in those assisted livings. If you don't reside in one of our advertising facilities, their first phone call with Elder Resource Benefits Consulting is at no charge. But if they wish to purchase the cash flow analysis, it's a one-time fee of $800. And then one of the VA-accredited attorneys at a group called the Surveys Consulting Group, which is my last name, will assist them pro bono with their VA benefit for the remainder of their life. So it's a one-time charge of $800 for the cash flow analysis and then lifetime assistance with their VA benefit application or living in one of the communities that supports the website. And then there's free support. We don't sell any financial products or refer to people who sell financial products or refer to attorneys who are looking to move the assets into the trust. That is up to the family members themselves. If they want to move down that path, they can still work with us for the cash flow analysis and the VA benefit. All right, and just to clarify for your listeners, you're not affiliated with the VA in any way, but it's just some consulting that you provide to families to help them with VA benefits they may be eligible for. Absolutely, yeah. We are not a veteran services organization. We are not affiliated with the VA. One of the things that people really like about our cash flow analysis is, let's say you're not in an assisted living facility yet and you hire us. That analysis is going to cover low-income housing tax credit. A lot of folks don't realize that very high-end buildings have low-income housing tax credit, but that there's a two-year waiting list. So if you're going to qualify for low-income housing tax credit, a 30% reduction in your base fee, 
might be a good thing for you to know that and put those facilities at the top of your selection list before you move in. And then, of course, that analysis also shows you this is the point we think you're going to qualify for VA benefits, this is the point you would qualify for low-income housing, etc. So there's a lot of value in what essentially is a second financial opinion with no product sale involved at all. Well, Patty, again, thanks for joining us, and we look forward to maybe having you back again in the future as these things are ever-evolving. Sure, sounds great. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, PO Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful week.